This episode of Job Board Geek is brought to you by Aspen Tech Labs. Aspen Tech Labs works behind the scenes to power the back end of the jobs industry. Every day, our expert data team collects open job listings for more than 60,000 global companies. We clean, enhance, and deliver that data to our customers, 300-plus job boards, aggregators, and distributors. We continually monitor the sources and deliver daily updates. The result, candidates see up-to-date postings, and your tech team can get back to work. Learn more or request a free trial at webspidermount.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Job Board Geek. It's the podcast about the business of connecting candidates and employers. I'm Jeff Dickey Chasens, the Job Board Doctor. I am your host, and today I'm here with the gregarious Stephen Rothberg of College Recruiter. He's the co-host. Hey, Stephen, how are you? I am really good today, Jeff. Nice, uh, nice to be here with you. And uh, uh, our mutual friend will be joining us later. And I say friend with with a heavy dose of sarcasm. Yeah, well, you know, you've got a history with him, as do I. And in fact, the person that, that we're talking about is Andy Hibble of Higher Ed Jobs. He'll be coming on in a little bit, and he's literally a fount of wisdom, as well as a podcaster himself. So anyway, uh, before we get into that, Stephen, I wanted to talk about something that actually came out today on my blog, which yeah. was a bunch of news about job boards doing very, very well. Recruit Holdings, HR division, which includes Glassdoor, Indeed, 51 Job, Simply Hired, Workopolis, et cetera, et cetera, is hitting about $6.2 billion. ZipRecruiter just saw a third quarter revenue increase of 81.3% to $227 million. Upwork's gross services volumes is up to $1 billion, which is kind of crazy. And then the Ringier Group, which is based in Switzerland and has a number of job boards, is also up to $972 million in 2021. DHI, you know, DHI with DICE, which always does kind of mediocrely, is actually seeing the growth of uh, their first quarter revenue to 28.7%, which is really quite good. Red Arbor down in Brazil is doing great. They went up 40%, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, hey, you know, hot times in the job board industry and kind of no surprise because the market is very, very constricted and hot right now for labor. So companies are willing to spend whatever they have to spend to get people. But the question that I have, which I probably everyone in the industry has, is how long is the party going to last? You know, have, mm. have they already start moving the chairs around and and someone's going to be sitting down on the floor in a few minutes, or it's just going to keep going on for a while, or is it just going to sort of taper off over time? My personal belief is that this is actually going to keep going on for quite a while because the fundamentals that are driving it, which is a lack of people to fill the jobs, really hasn't changed. And at least in North America, particularly the U.S., the things that would make it change, like massive immigration, a big jump in the birth rate, et cetera, et cetera, none of those are happening. They're certainly not going to happen very quickly. Europe is struggling with a lot of the same things. So that's my take on it. But, you know, Stephen, you're kind of different. You're binational. What's, what's, what's your take on it? I'm kind of different. Boy, if I had a dollar for every time somebody that I know and love told me that I was kind of different. <laughs> so, you know, reading your e-newsletter this morning, it reminded me in a weird way, and go with me on this, of when you go to New Orleans and you realize it's really, really hard to find bad food in New Orleans, right? Every restaurant is just great. 
Mm-hmm. And I think right now in the job board world, call it marketplace or whatever you want, there's some of that going on that yep. every job board practically is doing well. And, you know, we've talked to a couple that are still struggling and there are always going to be some organizations in just about any industry that are that are going through difficult times, maybe going out of business for, for one reason or another. But overall, these are definitely golden times. It also struck me that, has it been 20 years now that we've been hearing that job boards are dinosaurs and job boards are dead? Yep. And it is just not... Correct. Now, one thing I disagree with you about is I don't think that there's a lack of people in the Mm. labor market. I think there's a lack of appropriate matching. There's a lack of employers offering positions and pay that people actually want. If you paid people enough, they're going to go into those jobs. They're going to come out of working part-time or working gigs, and they're going to go back into sort of the regular labor force. And I think there's been a tremendous reluctance by employers to do that. We just published a blog article last week on stickiness, the stickiness of the labor market. And I think it was pretty instructive. If employers paid enough, they'll see more. So I I agree. I think these are good times. I think we're going to continue to see these good times. We're at the, I think at the beginning of this, not at the end of this. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I actually, I don't, I don't disagree with you on what you said. I, I tend to be somewhat cynical about the ability of employers to react in a positive way, uh, in a, in a broad based way. Individual employers, I think, do adjust and raise their, their uh, compensation, try to become more attractive in tight times. But a lot of employers just think, yeah, it's always been this way. Why should we change? So, yeah. I, I agree that that what you say is also true, but we'll I guess we'll just see what happens. That's always my response anyway. Every every downturn that I've run into since 1981 is like, well, you know, we'll just see what happens. So so today we're very lucky to have someone that we both know quite well, Andy Hibble of Higher Ed Jobs. I first met Andy face to face in an airport hotel a long, long time ago. And uh, have had the the good luck to see him on a regular basis every ever since then. Uh, welcome to Job Board Geek, Andy. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you, Stephen. Yes, and Stephen, Stephen, and uh, and and uh, Andy know each other even longer than I've known Andy. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but you know that's the that's the way it is. So Andy, uh, what good why for me, you- bad for Andy. Right, right. Yeah, that's what everyone says about you, Stephen. So anyway, Andy, why don't you give us a little bit of background in terms of how you got into the job board industry and, you know, what your background is and how higher ed jobs got started? Sure. Uh, I'll try to be brief. Um, I feel like I need to offer a disclaimer um, for anybody who's listening. A conversation with the three of us is usually something that most people have a difficulty navigating. So I'm going to try to it as simple as possible. Uh, kind of the best way to describe uh, my career path would be I'm an estate and, and, and tax lawyer. That's my training. Uh, I'm an accidental entrepreneur. That's where higher ed jobs come in. Mm. It comes in and I'm an extremely reluctant podcaster. So uh, <laughs> that that would kind of kind of give the, the trajectory of my career. Basically, uh, I was working at a, a Big Ten University along with my co-founders, uh, John Eikenberry and Eric Blessner. And uh, it was the mid-90s. We all had had a rough time finding our first position in higher education, uh, working in fundraising. And we set about trying to find a 
a better way to find a job in higher education. Didn't necessarily think it was going to be something we that would become our lifelong careers, but th- thought it would be something that would be nice uh, supplemental income to our uh, to our professional positions. And uh, here we are, twenty six years later, doing the same thing. Yeah, it kind of took over your life, didn't it? Y- yeah, very much so. Why don't you tell us a little bit? I mean, the name of your site is pretty self explanatory in some ways, and not totally in others. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who higher ed jobs targets and Sort of give us a feel for some of the services that you offer. It's it's actually interesting as Stephen and I have met many people simultaneously over the years, and and lots of times people get confused what college recruiter and higher ed jobs do. Mm-hmm. And while we both might be on campus, to say that we're both on campus is about where the similarities end. Yep. Stephen's uh, Stephen's audience is working with college students. We're working with the faculty and staff that serve those students. So we're looking at anything from a professor or any sort of academic position to anything that's administrative. So we right now, um, I was with a number of university presidents. For the first time in 26 years, we're talking about a, a lot of uh, infrastructure and physical plant employees, mm. just getting people in those seats. There's not been a lot of instances where universities have been concerned about recruiting uh, positions that would traditionally be filled with good talent relatively easily. It doesn't mm. usually reach the president's office. Now it has, but uh, people are often surprised to find out that we also have those positions. And I think particularly in a really, I'm really proud to be a part of this community. When you look at equity issues through the pandemic, there's been a lot of questions of what can be done, how it can be done thoughtfully, how can we bring folks in? And between the challenges in recruiting throughout the university, combined with the change in how a lot of folks are working on campus, but also the way a lot of folks are still working the same way throughout the pandemic, it's actually been a really difficult a time to lead for a lot of academic leaders to figure mm. out how to appropriately address kind of all the challenging and competing in some in some ways missions of what the university wants to accomplish and the type of organization it wants to be. And that that's definitely been a challenge over the past couple of years for, for a lot of colleges and universities. They're not immune to the labor force uh, issues that are affecting the rest of the economy. That's, that, that's interesting. One of the many things that I really liked about Jeff's vision for, for this podcast, for the Job Board Geek podcast, was that he wanted to ask our guests to share information about their business models or practices that were pretty different or unusual at least. And one of the things that I've seen over the years from talking with you, Andy, is that higher ed jobs has, and I believe you call it your labs, kind of like this other way of experimenting with maybe a new pricing model, new technology, a different approach to serving your customers. Maybe you can share with our listeners why you have a lab rather than just, you know, throwing stuff up onto the main site, um, pros and cons to doing that, because I do think it's fairly unusual. And maybe before I do that, uh, maybe laying a little bit of a foundation of how we operate, because I think we we operate very similar to how we operated uh, back in 1996, um, which is now extremely different from how a lot of other folks operate. We're a, a more of a, a, a job board in 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 the sense of we, we're paper post. We we do not aggregate jobs. We do not broadcast jobs. What you see is a is an infrastructure that is its own. The number one reason for that is our model has worked. It's traditionally delivered quality candidates to our employers, and that's been kind of a cornerstone of our success. 
uh, at that cornerstone, we have an unlimited subscription where we have uh, 1,200, 1,300 colleges and universities that are subscribed on an annual basis to post as, as many jobs as they can for a single price. And that's kind of been our model that kind of drives our content, uh, drives our engagement with our employers, and in turn also drives our engagement with uh, our, our broader audience of job seekers and people in higher education. With that, we kind of go about things a little bit differently. When we look at the model and trying to explain to our customers how it works and why it works, and we've had good success doing that. If we're trying to do something a little bit different, universities tend to like to stay with the tried and true. And people who are looking for jobs at universities tend to want to have their needs catered to kind of the a little bit different of a job search and a little bit different of a career experience that they have uh, as opposed to the for-profit world. When we start looking at things that change from that basic model, what we're trying to do is find places where we can add value to our core model without kind of upsetting any of those fundamentals. So we'll try different ways of going about that and experimenting that way. Some work and some produce some some benefit to us and, and to our audience. Others don't. And uh, it, it's done so in a safe way, uh, to be honest, at least for me, after 26 years of doing it. It also kind of keeps some of the work interesting. Um, we work with between four and 5,000 universities a year that a lot of universities uh, to to have specific needs for. And uh, uh, for, for what we do in, in our day-to-day, it's a pretty big task to accomplish year after year. Well, you know, Andy, one of the other things that I, I know about your organization in terms of how you guys function is the, on the leadership side, you actually have, for all intents and purposes, three leaders, the three founders. And it seems like that's a huge plus in a lot of ways. And sometimes it's not such a huge plus. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that and how it ended up that way? Yes, we, we have a, a polygamous leadership model. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a different way of going about it. I think for us, it works well. I think from a creative standpoint, having all of us with equal voices, um, but very different voices, it really helps us come at a problem in a very different way than a lot of other leadership teams might do it. And I think that's been a big source of our strength. On some of the management issues, and I'd say it's just a handful, it can prove challenging. But I'd say at this point, we have a pretty good sense of how we'd like to manage collectively, where we have a comfort level doing things. And uh, it's it's worked well. What I would say is, uh, Eric's the youngest of us, quickly pushing up against 50. It's very different than managing a job board in your 50s as compared to your 20s, particularly when you still have some visions of yourself as a 20-year-old job board owner. Um, (laughs) But I, I would say, for the most part, the wisdom that comes after these years has probably uh, also enabled us to be able to kind of get through some of those places where it's harder with that model to to manage. I think uh, you'll probably also address that while I'm here in Chicago, uh, John and Eric and their teams are out in State College, Pennsylvania. We're 600 miles apart. That happened in year two of higher ed jobs. I moved to Chicago got mm-hmm. married, not moving back to state college when the business kind of took off. And uh, we've worked through it. So it was kind of weird when the pandemic hit, the idea of working away from each other really wasn't hard. I, I see John mm-hmm. and Eric regularly, but it's not like I walk into an office with them every day. It, I think that was actually a, a lot of uh, practice for being able, when March of 2020 hit, for us to be able to pivot and just kind of be okay with it. We use a lot of the tools between the three of us that now 
the company was using on a regular basis. So you mentioned the pandemic, and I'm kind of curious. We've asked this to a lot of the guests that we've had on about in terms of the effect that the pandemic had. What did it do for higher ed jobs? I mean, was it short short-lived or was it something that was more deep and systemic? I think a lot of universities right out of the gate thought, hey, we're going to be back on campus in six to eight weeks. We can deal with this recruiting thing later. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a very, very, very disconcerting feeling for, for us. I don't think we reached complete and total panic mode, but it did produce a lot of consternation. I think we quickly saw our Big, uh, so university budgets are usually renewed as of July 1st, the vast majority of universities. And so much of those subscription renewals are actually geared with the fiscal year. Mm-hmm. So with those subscriptions, we knew come mid-May to beginning to mid-July, we had a large number of subscriptions that were coming due. And that was kind of our, our stress test. No, 2020 was not as great as previous years. We typically renew subscriptions on 97 or 98% rate, much to Jeff's chagrin. Um, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but that rate went down, I think, to 92, 93, 94 in 2020. So yes, we lost some, but it wasn't like it was, we got through the July renewal season and had fairly good confidence that, okay, this is not going to be a great year but the fundamentals of our business remain the same. Actually, I think the the bigger way we were affected is we expected a bounce back, but we didn't ex- it, we kind of got a bounce back that when it bounced back at us, it came back so much harder that we weren't ready for the demand that came in mm. once it bounced back. And 2021, we spent a lot of time rethinking how we wanted to do things and ourselves dealing with the labor market uh, and trying to trying to recruit. And I think we we finally feel like we kind of have grasp on it, but I say that feeling like I'm knocking on wood and I don't want to jinx it. And I'm sure John and Eric will be listening, cringing when I say that, but I feel like it's it's pretty good. I, I want to jump in real quick here. And I, uh, Stephen, I know you want to ask a question, but I just got to jump in here as the job board doctor and make a comment on this renewal number issue. Andy's absolutely right. Their renewal rate is way too high. And I say that because when you have a renewal rate that's significantly higher than 90%, you're not charging enough money. And, you know, I think almost every client that I've ever talked to, I always say, you know, you should be charging more. You know, I don't make ridiculous demands that they triple their price or something. But when you have a product that's on a renewal basis and you're renewing close to 100%, there's probably a lot of room for price increasing there. Because, I mean, even if you're renewing at the 90, 92%, 93% rate, that's that's great. But I hate to leave money on the table. Anyway, so Stephen, you had a question, I believe. Yeah, no, at, that that's interesting, Jeff. I You do want to have a very high renewal rate. But what I'm hearing you say is that if it's too high, you know, when you get into that virtually 100%, it, it might mean that you're maybe 80% of your customers would be willing to pay 20% more. Exactly. So you you end right. So you end up with a lot more revenue. I think what job board owners need to also take into account is it's not all about the money, right? I think that that perspective is from a financial statement perspective. What does our income statement look like? What does our balance sheet statement look like? But most entrepreneurs, and I think we would all agree with this, we don't just go into it looking at the dollars. It's also about the lifestyle. It's also about improving the communities. And so a high renewal rate can also indicate that we're doing a lot of good in other areas. Maybe we're just right. happier, that we're less stressed, and we're willing to take less money to, to get there. But um, the question that I had for 
for Andy is about that subscription product. A lot of our listeners are going to be primarily transactional. Employers coming out to their site, whipping out a credit card, buying a job posting for $100, $200, $300. And month after month after month, you have to sell to them to get them to renew. What was the foundation? Where did your subscription product come from? Who's like Whose idea, why did you go down that path? And I would think that you're thankful that you did because it seems like it's a real cornerstone of your success. It's kind of funny. It reminds us of the first salesperson who we hired way back when and kind of joked that we didn't really hire him. It was a a friend from development that let come and sell. He He did a really good needs assessment, but we only had one product and that was the subscription. So he would do this needs assessment. And then at the end of the needs assessment, he'd say, well, I have the right product for you. And he'd sell the subscription. And he he was good. And the subscription was a good value. It was it was really, really nicely done. And a, a very thankful quality of customer service and salesmanship was, was so important uh, at that stage. But the subscription actually was our only product to start, period. At that, uh, at day one, mm. where we we gave it away for free for two years, mm. and we kept our day jobs, we kept our expenses to a minimum, and we got several hundred universities using it for free. It was easy. They posted all of the jobs. We had an easy system to do it. We didn't have to do much work, and it worked. So to say there was some big strategic way to do it, we got a lot of jobs. We got it at, at a very small transaction cost, and we were able because back in that day, you weren't purchasing traffic from people. You were trying right. to do the two sided market of getting jobs there, so job seekers would come and people to post jobs, so they could uh, so they could get applicants. And that was kind of our, our way to kind of light the fire, if you will. I'd like to say, Stephen, yeah, we, we thought about different models strategically and we were, we were so smart we came up with this. I think as time went on, we understood that we converted those people from free to paid uh, over time after about three three or four years. We realized that the subscription had a different place and, and as other products now relate to it, 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 yeah, it is our cornerstone, but it is by far not the only product we sell now like we did back back in the day. Yeah. And I can quickly respond to Jeff just real quick on the renewal rate. Jeff's been a wonderful uh, uh, consultant and collaborator with us, but is one of the things if if you are going to hire him, the first time you pay for that advice, but <laughs> the, the repeated times of hearing that we haven't charged too much, I believe he was generous enough to give us that advice for free. Uh, on a very regular basis <laughs> after the fact. <laughs> yeah, it's probably probably so. I talk too much, as everyone everyone on this podcast knows. But um, well, listen, Andy, it's been great to have you on the podcast, and you know, congratulations on the continued success of High Red Jobs. If any of our listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm going to ask listeners for if they do want to get a hold of me. Uh, what I'd really love to hear from people. So we're doing a playlist, Jeff, as as you know, on our podcast mm-hmm. uh, of good songs for job search and for for careers and because every job search deserves a good soundtrack and jeff you put two amazing songs on that um welcome to the working week by elvis costello see the uh, album behind you and then also you put career opportunities by the clash great song but if people have uh, songs that they think we need to put on that list please love to hear from you reach out to us at podcast at higheredjobs.com um let us know what you think and if you're looking to reach me that that podcast email actually goes to me as well so i'll be able to pick up whatever you want to send there 
Um, but uh, really appreciate being on here. Always love getting time with the two of you and uh, appreciate that you guys are, are creating the the time to to put this podcast out because I think it's of a lot of value. Well, thanks, Andy. I uh, appreciate that. And uh, yes, definitely check out their podcast. Uh, Andy uh, has done some good things on that. In fact, he had me on the podcast. I'm not going to say that was the best one episode yet, but <laughs> it was one of the best. So Anyway, thanks. Thanks for coming on. And Stephen, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, uh, how do they do that? Well, they're definitely not going to do it at a Chicago Blackhawks game because that would be really painful for for me to be there. And that's another story. Just Google Andy, Andy Hibble, Stephen Rothberg, Chicago Blackhawks, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But they can email me, Stephen, at college recruiter.com and uh, 100% our listeners should also be subscribing to the higher ed jobs podcast the content is is quite different quite complimentary and I find that 90% at least of what you guys talk on there talk about on there is not strictly about higher ed it's about you know finding a new career path or interviewing or if you get ghosted and and these are issues that that exist in all industries but uh you guys do a fantastic job andy thank you thank thank you for that and thank thank i mean the team is fantastic kelly mike um, and, and Monica really, we, we really put our, our heart and soul into it. So I really appreciate that. And I, and I have to say that the recording quality is better than uh, job board geeks, so. <laughs> but I'm, but we're trying, we're trying to get better. So that's it for today's episode of job board geek. Please be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, whatever particular feed that you particularly like, because we're on them all, as far as I know. My name again is Jeff Dickey Chase, the Job Board Doctor. You've been listening to the only podcast that focuses on the business of connecting candidates and employers. That's it for today, and we'll see you again next time. <laughs>